hand in a lot of ways. Anybody ever flown on an airplane? Or rode on a public transit bus or anything like that? You, you implicitly put your trust in one or two people that are sitting in the cockpit of that airplane to get you to the other side and on the other runway and to park the plane so you can get off. You don't think about that when you're getting on that plane, but you are putting your faith and trust in two or three men or women or whoever's flying that plane, that they know what they're doing, that they haven't been indulging themselves in something they shouldn't have, and that they're sane and in their right mind, and that they're going to get you there. Same thing with a public transit bus or anything like that. We put our trust we don't. We do it blindly, almost. We don't even think about it. Somebody that flies all the time, they don't, they just kind of put it out of their mind that there's somebody up there flying the plane. As long as I can get in, get in my seat, get my iPad out, and do what I'm doing while the plane's going, and and I can get off on the other end, life's good. We travel all over the world like that, trusting that that plane's not going to drop out of the sky like a rock, right? Or, God forbid, in this day and age, somebody's not going to shoot a rocket at it. Take it out of the sky, depending on where you're flying. So, it's called the unknown, right? That's what God did with Israel. He took them to a place they had they had known bondage for 400 years. They hadn't known anything else. And so, he, he took them out of their comforts. They were in a comfort zone. In bondage, they were. Read it. They were, because they, they start. What did they do? They complained. We we had it good back there. We could we could go back to eating leeks and onions. What did you bring us out of here in the unknown for? Not what he what they said. But God was taking them to the unknown. He took them to something that hey they had never experienced before, called the Red Sea parting. And he. He had, he didn't tell them what was coming. He just said, trust me. We were just singing that song, put your trust in me. He said, I want to lead you. When you let somebody lead, you trust them. Right? I remember when I was, right before I went in the military, I was in this program back in Louisville where I, we went to this school that had a pool one day and we were learning about trust and so we were working with blind students and so we they put us in this shallow end of the pool and they put blinders on us and they made us have to trust somebody else to lead us around that pool and not lead us into the deep end and drown us and you you might be smiling but it was for me at 21 or so that was it was a little you know and so that's what, and so they were trying to get it across to us how blind people have to trust those that can see. Right? And so we have to put our trust in Him just like Israel did. He's not gonna necessarily lead you where you think you wanna go. <laughs> he might ask you to do something or go somewhere where it's not comfortable, where it's not what you would have done if it had been up to you if you were God. Right? That's why we're not. It, do we trust that he has a plan or not? 
We do. I trust that he has a plan. Do I always agree with his plan? No. Do I always like his plan? No. But I know that he's my heavenly father. And he, he just leave, he just left us little nuggets all along the way, like, like Romans 8.28. What does it say? And we know all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose, the called. And we just have to trust that we are those people. This has nothing to do with us, not directly. Amen. I trust him. He has never let me down, Sister Vicky, ever. So if I've been let down, it's not because of him. Because of me or some other human being. But God has never let me down. He, he's left me in a couple of places where I, I had to just trust that he was there. You can't see him, you can't smell him, you can't touch him, but you have to trust that he's there. As he said, he promised he'd never leave us nor forsake us. And God don't break promises. He's not a man, the Bible says, that he should lie. Right? So what's that imply? <laughs> that we li- we do lie. We don't mean to. We just do sometimes. It's not really lying. We just aren't committed. We, we, we mean well, right? We mean well. But thank God he doesn't function and operate like that. If he said he's going to take us somewhere and keep us there, he will. doesn't mean we won't go through stuff. Because that's part of the plan, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I want to be proven. I want my, I want my faith and my love for God to be proven. I don't want it to be, well, God, I told you I loved you once, and if I change my mind, I'll tell you. I want Him to try me and prove me. I, and He's listening right now. Oh, here we go. Be careful what you pray for, right? But I do. I don't, cause nothing that's impure is entering in. So I want him to try me. I want him to, if I have to go through things in order for me to be perfected for his glory, then so be it. He's in charge. He's my father. He's not going to do anything to hurt us. It might not feel like that when you're going through that trial, but he really is not going to do anything to hurt us. Amen? Praise God. We're talking about practical religion. And Brother Pastor Parker has so graciously asked me and allowed me to continue to teach on this, and I and I thank him for that. And uh, I was willing to sit down and let him teach, but he asked me to continue. So we're going to continue. So James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 You'll have these scriptures memorized by the time this is all over with, right? If I ask somebody right now to get up and quote it, would they do it? <laughs> well, you just said you'd have them memorized. You all agreed? Nobody said no? Well, okay. Got me on my words there. 
If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. James 1, 26 and 27 in the Amplified says this, If any man, anyone thinks himself to be religious, piously observant of external duties of his faith, and does not bridle his tongue, but deludes or imposes a misleading belief upon his own heart. That's what deludes means. I added that. Imposes a misleading belief upon his own heart. You would actually lie to yourself? That's what that means. This person's religion's religious service is worthless, futile, barren. External religious worship, religion as it is expressed in outward acts, that is pure and unblemished in the sight of God the Father. That's the key right there, in the sight of God. How does God see it? Not how, what do we think, not what does our pastor think, but how does God, what does he think? How does he see it? Is this, to visit and help and care for the orphans and the widows in their affliction and need, and to keep oneself unspotted and uncontaminated from the world. So refusing to let the world system influence you as it may have in times past, and such were some of you, as one scripture says. That's what that's talking about. He gives us the Holy Ghost, but his spirit does not negate our human will that he also gave us. Right? Because God's not going to violate that human will that he gave you. He gave us the privilege, the honor, the blessing of choice. We can choose to read this book and do what it says, or we can just choose to read this book and pick out the parts we like and do that and leave the rest of it for somebody else. We can choose to do that and live our whole walk in life that way, and he will not go against our human will. Now, along the way, he might try to prompt us that, that there's a better way, but if we are stuck on our human will, he is not going to violate that. How many believes that? He won't, he doesn't have a bunch of automatons and robots. He gives us the choice and decision if we want to serve him or not. There's lots of people that have made their choice and made their decision. And we would like for them to make a different decision. But it's not up to us. It's up to them. So that's why he gave us prayer. Right? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or person availeth much. You keep praying for that individual that hasn't made the right choice yet, in your opinion, according to this book. You just wait and let God work that out, right? Keeping ourselves unspotted from the world doesn't mean to keep ourselves isolated from or to avoid those worldly people. I put that in air quotes, those worldly people, right? James is advising his brethren and fellow believers not to be like the world system 
which at that time in, in that in that era, in that time, was the Jewish religious elites who maintained this whole attitude of touch not, taste not, handle not. Oh, we don't do that. We don't touch that. We don't we don't eat that. We don't wear that. We don't do those things. A lot of a lot of don't do's, right? That's not what he was talking about. His audience was mostly Jews, though, so that's really what he was kind of referring to was don't let yourself fall prey to that kind of mindset and mentality. Don't forget the widows and the orphans. Not Don't just stand over here and pray, be warmed and be filled, but go take care of them. Get out of your comfort zone. Do things that aren't comfortable for your flesh. Talk to the the worst of the worst of the worst out there. What was James basing this on, do you think? He was the half-brother of who? So who do you, where do you think he was getting some of his information, you will? From his, from what Jesus did, right? And what did he do? He wasn't afraid to talk to anybody. He even walked up and touched a leper. Right? And you don't touch a leper. You're a Jew and Jesus was a Jew. Now I just think, this is just me. I just think that the, the very split second before he touched that leper, he healed him. You can, that's not in the book. That's just what I think. But I just, I just think that's how he did. That's how he operated. But even if he didn't, he wasn't afraid to touch that leper. He went into the house of a leper, didn't he? It was a, a Pharisee, a religious guy. He went in, he, he talked to Matthew, the tax collector. He, he talked to Nicodemus. He talked to blind Bartimaeus. He went and talked to that filthy Samaritan at the well that had been with many men. And the one she was with wasn't the one, her husband either. She, he rubbed shoulders. So that's what James is telling the church. Don't, don't get so high minded that you forget your place. That's why James said this in 126 and 27. To visit, he, he put that before keeping yourself unspotted from the world. <laughs> Do you notice that? Visiting the fatherless and widow in their affliction and taking care of them. And while you're out there doing that, just make sure you maintain your integrity and maintain your walk and don't let the influences of this world draw you back into that mindset. You can, we can do that, right? We can maintain our, our Christianity, if you will, but still go out there and rub shoulders with the world and be an influence on them. I'm going to try to stay away from always, maybe, and sometimes today. <laughs> A little joke between me and Sister Bell. <laughs> I don't know if I will or not. So we're going to get into part two, talking about James chapter four. Um, I just wanted to kind of hit that little thing because that was kind of an overlap from the last lesson. And so we're going to talk about unrest and unholy passions. And so we're going to go to James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says this, From whence come wars and fightings and strife and controversy among I wrote that in there, strife and controversy among you. Come they not hence even of your lusts? that war in your members, not only them as individuals, but them as a 
body as a church, right? Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Right? And so, where's he coming from with this, you think? Well, he was, James wrote a letter. So he didn't write a letter with chapters, did he? No, he didn't. So I'm trying to get to the book of James in here. So if we go back to James chapter 3, starting in about verse 17. That's Peter. Let's see here. Here we go. Went a little too far. Let's see, uh, James chapter 12. Sorry about that. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, but if, if, He's talking to the church. He's talking to some some people that are going to be the future leaders because where's James? He's in prison. He's getting ready to, to leave this world. So he's trying to encourage the church. So he's talking to the body, the new converts, those that have been in that, that congregation a while, and he's also talking to the ones that he's handing this off to. So he's talking to everybody in that church, right? But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth from above, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. We've already talked about all this. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace to them that make peace. So James 4, 1 and 2 is really kind of, it's a continuation of what he was talking about in James 3, right? He's, it's a paragraph in a, in a letter. So he's, re, he's, it's in context. He's referring back to what he was just talking about, about the, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, well, where does bitter envying and strife come from? Well, he says, he says it right here in James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. From whence come wars and fighting, strife and controversy among you. Where does this come from? If there's strife and envy and, and controversy and all this going on in the body, where is it coming from? Come they not, hence, even of your lusts that were in your members? Does it not come from within the body? Is that possible? With all these human beings, is that possible? Because right? we all have our human will. We all have an opinion. We all have our our desires, what we like, what we would prefer. Right? So you think that 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 there could be strife in a in a body of people? Yeah. I mean we can just take it outside the church if you want. Let's go to the workplace. You think there's gonna be some 
I mean, there's some people that, that I work with that bring in donuts almost every week. And it's not that I don't like donuts, but sometimes I just wish they'd bring something else. Maybe I should be the one to bring the fruit, because that's what I want them to bring, is something healthy. And it's not that there's anything wrong with their their opinion, their decision, their choice. It's just, it's just you know, one every now and then is okay, but every week, some of them brought them every day. So you just kind of get, it gets old. Right. And so we have this we have these sort of disagreements going on among the 11 of us that work in this department. <laughs> so I'm not going to have strife over it. I'm just not going to walk over there and get one. Right. I'm going to let them bring all that they want to bring 10 dozen donuts. I'm going to let them, but I'm not going to go over there and have one. I'm going to make a different choice. I'm going to make a different decision. I'm not going to get all upset and mad at my coworker because he's bringing donuts. If he wants to bring donuts from now till Jesus comes, that's his business. Right? So, but that's where this comes from. That's what James is saying. Be careful. Be wise. Let the wisdom of God show you that this stuff is coming from internally. You know, what's the Bible say out of what the abundance of the heart? What? The mouth, you know, it's what comes out of the mouth that 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 defiles a man, right? The devil didn't make you do that, <laughs> right? There was this old comedian years ago that said, the devil made me do it. There you go. It says in verse 2, ye lust and have not, ye kill... And desire to have. And cannot obtain. You fight in war. You have not because you ask not. James chapter 4 verse 1. In the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary says lusts. Literally pleasures. That is the lusts which prompt you to desire pleasures. Whence you seek. Whence you seek self at the cost of your neighbor. And hence flow fightings. Well, what is that talking about? Wanting to have your own way, right? I don't like donuts. I like fruit. I don't like this. I don't like that. I'd rather it be this way or that way. That's what he's talking about, that lust. It's not talking about like sexual lust. It's, it's talking about personal, personal desires. I, you know, you have preferences and desires just like I do, right? We all go to the buffet down there at, North Country Steak Buffet, not everybody's going to get salad. Because some people don't like salad or don't care for salad. Some people are going to go straight for the steak or straight for the mashed potatoes or straight for the shrimp or something else, right? And I know that's kind of a simplistic example, but that's what he's talking about. We we want things to be our way, don't we? Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown in, in James chapter 4 verse 2 says, They tumultuously war against the interests of your, of their fellow men while lusting to advance self. That's what James is saying. It's all about me. Be careful of that all about me spirit. But while warring thus against others, they without his knowledge war against the soul of a man himself and against the spirit. 
So, so what is that saying? Is it, if you're fighting against your brother, you're fighting against God? Right? Because whatsoever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you also do it unto me. Right? It also says ye lust, a different Greek word from that of James 4.1. Ye desire, literally, you set your mind or heart on an object. Wow. We get our mind made up that we want something a certain way, and we don't care about what anybody else thinks. This is how I want it, and if I don't get my way, I'm going to lay down on the floor and kick my feet and scream. And we don't do that as adults. Literally, but we might do that on the inside where nobody can see, right? This object does not necessarily have to be physical. It can be anything that is the object of our desire, something that is strived for personally, like wanting to have our own way, for example. This effectively is effectively resisting God's way, God's plan, and God's purpose. Because when we came to God, we came on his terms, not ours. So we agreed to lay down our life and our way and our will so that he could be in control, right? Did we do, did we not do that? Right? So with this going on in the body, there is bound to be strife. That's why James is bringing this up. He's trying to help them. You know, he's like, I'm not going to be around forever, guys. You're going to have to do this on your own. You're going to have to walk on your own. Right? There's nobody. My mom does not come to my house or call me every morning and wake me up for work. She used to do that when I was in school. Come on, get up. Time for school. She doesn't do that anymore. Why? Because she don't need to. My mom wouldn't do it anyway. She, you know, make your own bed. You don't want to. You don't want to have a job. Get fired. Go for it. I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm your mother, but it's not my job anymore. It's my responsibility. Right? If my grass needs to be cut. It's my responsibility to make the time and get up and do it when I'd rather lay in bed or do something else, go fishing or whatever. So God is expecting, God, James is telling the church, and God's expecting us to walk on, on our own, right? James can't be there. He's going, he's going to the grave. He's going to have to leave it in somebody else's hands. And he, so he's, this is his, I don't want to say last ditch effort, but this is his final letter to his fellow believers. Guys, you got this, but just be wary of these things that can creep back in. Can that creep back in today? Absolutely it can. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is human nature. We might wear different clothes and have different culture, but we're essentially the same. Right? Because we like to have our own way, don't we? Anybody that says no in here, whether it's out loud or to yourself, is lying. I like having my own way. I like things a certain way. And we have to learn to get along with the one that we're hitched to, right? Because there's not always going to be agreement there. She likes Cheerios, I like cornflakes, you know, that kind of thing. You just kind of learn to get along. 
Neither one of us eats Cheerios or cornflakes. I just use that as an example. Right? Nations have fought and died. People have died over simple, silly stuff between two human beings that couldn't agree. Right? And churches have been split for the same reason. Have they not? Absolutely they have. What did David say in Psalms 51, verse 16 and 17? Let's go there and read it. Because this is in, this is good. This is important. This is how we overcome some of this stuff. And David didn't just write this because it was cool to write this. He was writing this from his own experiences. He learned some things from making some mistakes in his life. For thou desirest, talking to God, not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering or religious exercises, maybe, as what I put in parentheses here. Because that's what James is referring to, the religious exercises that we go through. God didn't call us to be religious and go through exercises and, and do all the steps. He called us to walk with him. Let him, like we were singing that song. Then he said, I want to lead you. Put your trust in me. The sacrifices of God, the ones that God's looking for, the kind of religion that God is looking for are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. And believe me, when you have that kind of attitude, you don't have to worry about strife. If you walk with that kind of attitude right there, you're not going to be worried about yourself. You're going to be saying, what can I do today, God, for you? It's not about me. I know I want to do this and I want to do that, but I want you to tell me what to do. And that's easy to talk about and hard to do. To to totally relinquish your will every day is not easy. It's not. But when you can get yourself to the place to do that, and I'm not there yet either, but I'm striving to get there, to just listen to what God wants me to do. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say today? Who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to say to them? You're in charge, God. I'm not. And if he says, I don't want you doing this today or doing that today, and that's what I had planned for today, How do you think God feels if I go on with my plans anyway and say, well, I'll do what you want later, but I have this plan for this time? You think he, that hurts? Think that we hurt God's feelings, I guess you could say, because he had plans for us to do something else? I mean, that's what got David in trouble, right? He got a little power, he got a little prestige, and he started making his own decisions, and it got him in trouble. Made a bad decision. He made a really bad decision. I'm not going to get into it, but he made a really, really bad decision that led into a couple other bad decisions, and you can't undo that once you've done it. Right? Psalms 51:17 in the Amplified says, My sacrifice, the sacrifice acceptable to God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, broken down with sorrow for sin and humbly 
and thoroughly penitent, such of such of God you will not despise. I mean, that's I don't even know if I could fully define the word humility or humble in my own words. But the only way I see it for myself is is that I am totally devoid of self. I, I try to be. I'm God, I'm not in control today. Period. You are. What do you want me to do? You want me to just sit still? I'll sit still. If you want me to go, I'll go. My plans are nothing compared to yours. You'll make time for me to do those things if you want me to, but what do you want me to do today? If those pe- that's what James, I think, is trying to tell them. If you'll, if we'll focus on the will of God, you know, cause he talked about in James chapter three, God's, the wisdom from above is, is all those good things, first peaceable and all those things, right? Easily to be entreated and all those things. If we're operating on God's wisdom, then is there going to be strife? We're still flesh, right? We're still going to have, we're going to, we're going to have to go repent of our attitude sometimes. But if we're really spending more time focusing on trying to find the will of God and doing it, there's not going to be any room for strife. That's what he was telling them. This is where all this is coming from internally, from you. Don't let it get in. Don't let that division, spirit of division or whatever you want to call it get in the body. You know, we got to, we, we can't lay everything on the pastor. We got to protect the, you know, the sheep. We got to protect one another. Right? We do. I'm going to pray for my brother and sister. I know, you know, I don't know everything, but I know stuff's going on and I don't have to know the details. All I have to do is say, God, my brother's, he, he has a need, you know, and God's going to put him on your heart. If we're focused on the will of God, this, all this division and strife won't be there. Jesus went where they were, right? He visited the sick. He visited Zacchaeus in his home. He visited Bartimaeus. He told, he told him, go bring Bartimaeus here. When they were trying to tell him to shut up and go away, he said, no, 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 no. This is my ministry. Bring him here. You know, we gotta get out of our comfort zone. We gotta get out there and rub shoulders with the publicans and sinners. Right? We can't stay cloistered in our little building. It's not what the new, that's what, that's not what the first church did. They went from house to house breaking bread and having fellowship together. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Because they were going from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship together. And they weren't being critical about who they were with. And they were, they were trying to follow the example of Jesus. And that's what they were being preached to by the guys that hung around with Jesus. So James 4 and 2 says, You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. Ask who? That's the first question I went I said, ask who? Of course, it's talking about what? Prayer. Asking God, right? So instead of taking something to prayer, James is saying here, they're trying to take it upon themselves, and they're trying to work it out among themselves and make their own decisions, and then 
you know, they want to make a decision and come together and have a meeting and, and have a committee, and then they want to lift it up before God and say, would you bless this? He's going, you didn't come and ask me first? If you ask not, that's why you're having all these problems, because you ask not. Right? Are we still, can we be guilty of that today? Yeah. We are. And it's interesting how working through doing it God's way, as he's trying to tell us in James 3, if we use God's wisdom that's from above, it's, it's, it's all good things come out of that. And if, but if we, that wisdom is for not from above is devilish and all those things, then what does it create? Strife. So we got to ask ourselves, what, how am I handling this? Who, who's in charge here? And, and who, have I asked God about this first before I ever open my mouth to somebody? Right? You know, and you can take it as far as you want. I feel like I got to ask God about every important decision before I make it. Spending money or whatever. I gotta ask God, is this what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to buy this car? Am I supposed to do this? Are you sure? We, you know, when we bought this place in Sparta, we, we wrestled with that. I didn't want to just do it because I wanted a house. I wanted to know that th- this was from God. And every time I tried to, to shut the door, he would hold it open. So after a couple of, you know, two or three times, I said, okay, I'll stop, you know, going there. Because he let us know that this was, he was doing this, not us. I mean, we were, we were in the process, but he was orchestrating it and doing it. Right? So we just have to be sensitive to that. And, you know, James, he's entreating his fellow believers. He's begging them. He's, He's trying to get them to, to catch the vision, to catch this, this revelation, I guess you could say. To impart something to them, the necessity of total dependence on God. He was saying to them, to me, if you'll just trust God and depend on God and go to him for all your decisions and all the things that you're going to avoid all this strife, And you won't have to worry about it. It's going to be God's decision. Right? And this leads us right into the next section there called unanswered prayer worldliness. James chapter 4, verse 3 through 4 says, You ask and receive not. He's just dovetailing right off of the last one. Because you ask amiss. That you may consume it upon your lusts. You adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Pretty powerful. Right? That uh, James chapter 4, verse 3 in the Amplified says, Or you do ask God for them and yet fail to receive because you ask with wrong purpose and evil selfish motives. Wow. It's all about our motive, isn't it? 
Your intention is when you get what you desire to spend it in sensual pleasures, to spend it on yourself. Here we go talking about self again. Self is the biggest enemy of the body of Christ. I I see people's heads shaking. Does that mean you agree? (laughs) I do too. Because you ask with wrong purpose and evil, selfish motives. So do you think God is listening to your prayer when you're asking with the wrong motive and the wrong attitude? Do you think he's catching that? He knows when your motive is wrong. So uh, for me, I have to ask myself to make sure and check the motive behind which I'm praying for a thing. Because he's not, if, if you're not getting your prayers answered, you have, I, me, I'll, I'll just use me. I have to go back and say, is there something wrong with the motive and the reason behind why I'm praying what I'm praying for? Because I do believe that the, the Bible says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But if your motive is wrong, right? Human nature. If, If your kids want something from you and their motive is wrong, are you going to give it to them? No, you're not. Because you know that's not good for them. It's a wrong motive. It's it's the wrong reason for this thing, right? And that's our fleshly human nature. You know, and that's what he's trying to tell them. You want to heap it upon yourselves. You want you want to I don't know if this is the right terminology, pet your flesh. You you don't want to feel uncomfortable. This is what I like. This is what I want. I, 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 me, me, me. (laughs) Jesus didn't act like that. He didn't talk like that. I, it seems like I read somewhere in the Bible, it might have been Matthew 6.33, that says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. So don't seek your own righteousness. Don't seek what you want. Don't seek your will. Don't seek to please your flesh. Seek his kingdom. There's another place in the Bible that says, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. We are seeking his face, seeking his will, seeking his, what's best, what, what, what's best for your kingdom. God, just tell me and I'll do it. All these other things that you're lusting after, your way, your will, you what you want. This is what that's saying to me. All these things will be added unto you. If you'll just put God's kingdom first, all this other stuff, he's going to take care of it. Better than you would have taken care of it. Right? Way better. <laughs> you know, what we got... Is way beyond anything I would have imagined. I'm not kidding. It's just, it blows my mind to this day how God blesses. He blesses. When He blesses, He does it good. You know, we don't go, that was okay, God. We don't do that. When He blesses, we say, wow, that is awesome, God. Right? I've never been, eh, on anything God's done. Anybody ever done that? Say, God, He could have done better. No. I would never say that. <laughs> he put me in a cardboard box. I would have said, hallelujah. 
That's God's will. That's right. Heater in a cardboard box. Praise God. James chapter 4, verse 4, the Amplified says, You are like unfaithful wives. He wasn't calling them adulterers and adulteresses necessarily. He wasn't saying they were physically doing that. But he was saying, You are like unfaithful wives having illicit affairs, love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. You mean I made a vow? Oh, yeah, you did. You did. You might not remember what words you said, but you made a vow when you came to that altar and received the Holy Ghost. And when you got baptized in Jesus' name, you made a vow. We all said something different. God, I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll work for you. I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. Just fill me with the Holy Ghost. Something like that. And we we can't renege on our promise. We can't renege on our commitment. Like an unfaithful wife, do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. Wow. So you're choosing to take a stand when you don't stand to do, when you don't stand for God's kingdom, God's will, God's plan, God's purpose. You're taking a stand to be an enemy of God. I'm going to resist you, God. I'm going to resist your will because I want my way. That's what James is saying to the church. Don't let this get in there among you. It'll destroy you from within. When we turn to the Lord, we were supposed to have abandoned our own way, weren't we? Not my will, but thine be done. Right? He's the potter. We're the clay. The Bible says the clay doesn't say to the potter, uh, I think you're doing it wrong. It doesn't do that. The clay just sits there on the wheel, and the, the potter turns the wheel, right? And the potter molds the clay, right? So the potter has total control over what that clay is going to be, right? I could just stop right there. I should. Since his word's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then that means that these same precepts apply to us today as well as to the church, the Jews that James is writing this letter to, doesn't it? Does it apply today? I'm not, I don't want you to just blindly go yes, but does it apply today? I, yeah. Cause we're still the same human nature. We might not be Jews, we might not live in that time, but still the same human nature is in us. That tendency in us to want to want to have our own way. So we need to check our motive when we lift up our petitions before our Heavenly Father. We probably need to enter into His presence humbly, as I've already indicated, and ask Him to show us not only what do you want me to pray about, God, but tell me what you see. What do you see in this guy right here, God? Tell me how you see me. That's a scary prayer to pray. What do you see, God? Tell me how you see me. I want to know. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Right? That's a that's a good prayer to pray. That's a scripture, by the way. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Who who doesn't want that? I I want that. Because when God's leading, when God's using me as a vessel, when I'm totally committed and submitted to his will and his way, whatever he, as one preacher said, whatever he asks us to do most of the time is impossible. In our human mind, we're going, I can't. There's no way. And that's why he asks us, this guy said, to do that, the impossible, because he's waiting for us to just say, okay, God, if you're asking me to do it, you're going to make the way. And he, when he does it, through us, then who gets the glory? Not us. He does. Amen? Praise God. Well, next Sunday, we're going to have our service with our veterans. And so, amen, I'm praying that the Lord will help me to be ready for the following Sunday and to bring something to you. I hope that something I've said today has helped somebody. Father, we love you today. We praise you today. We thank you for your goodness, mercy, and grace. We plead your blood over the remainder of this service. We thank you for this pastor, Lord, that, and the word that you've given him for us today, Lord, that we would come into this remainder part of this service with our hearts and minds open to receive the word, the engrafted word that you've given to him to speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.